Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back. This is John Christopher for Real Life, and we're starting our 10th year, believe it or not. And today I am so fortunate to have with me a wonderful guest who is uh, very knowledgeable, especially when it comes to law, and that is Andrew Lieb of Lieb at Law. Andrew, how are you today? Well, I didn't know it was your 10th year, so I just want to tell you how um, honored I am to be part of the show. And I know that you were on a hiatus, but I, I want you to know that I find all of your stuff because you can, you can listen to the recorded versions and you're like my Bob Ross. So your voice is so wonderful that whenever I need to relax, I just put John Christopher in the background. You sure I don't put you to sleep? No, you're, you're, you're amazing because you know what it is, is that you have the zingers in there but also that soothing voice. So I, if, if I get too excited or sidetracked today, it's just because I'm elated to be on with you right now. I think that's fantastic. So Andrew, let's uh, go right into that. Um, the federal government, as you're quite aware, recently extended the, mo the moratorium, whoops, bing, on um, evictions for tenants to August 31st. But a judge has recently overturned that, that CDC recommendation. So my question is, Andrew, is that moratorium still in place? Well, I think you actually convoluted two different ones. So let okay. me break it yeah. down. There's um, 43 states in the District of Columbia that had statewide moratoriums. And some of them expired, some of them are still going, but approximately 43 states. And I know that because the federal court judge that you were just referencing in the case of Alabama Association of Realtors, the US Department of Health and Human Services actually said that. So we have two different things going on. Individual states have moratoriums and the federal government has moratoriums. Let's start off with the federal government. They started off with what's called the CARES Act and they had a moratorium there. But when that expired, the Centers for Disease Control as part of the Department of Health and Human Services created their own moratorium. And the case you're referencing, which I just said, the Alabama case, was about the federal moratorium. And that moratorium was gonna expire in June. Now you referenced also that there's a moratorium that is gonna extend to August 31st. I believe you're talking about the New York State moratorium, which was extended on May 5th. It had expired on May 1st, but it was extended on May 5th on what's called Assembly Bill 7175. And that extended it to August 31st, 2021. So two different tracks we're talking about. So first of all, for the real question of the day is, can New York State create a moratorium if there's already a federal moratorium? And there's no preemption issue there. They both can concurrently exist. So New Yorkers, there's a moratorium through August 31st, 2021, on this law that was signed, it was a, by the Senate, the Assembly. This isn't Governor Cuomo doing Cuomo power, King Cuomo. This is a New York State statute that was passed and signed, and it extends the moratorium. And there's this thing called a hardship 
declaration that a tenant needs to be able to use. And if they don't submit this hardship affidavit declaration, then there is no moratorium. But the tenant can put it in any time from before the foreclosure, during the foreclosure, to when the sheriff's coming to knock on their door, and then they'll be able to extend it till August 31st. There are some carve-outs to that. And what are some of those carve-outs? The big carve-out is called nuisance. So I don't know if you've heard of this, but we have these people that are hellraisers that are tenants. See, we do landlord-tenant law over at Leave at Law, and we deal with this a lot. And you have a tenant that screams at the landlord, picks the landlord, breaks things, ruins other tenants' lives. That's called a nuisance. And you normally can't just evict someone on a nuisance on one item. But if you put in a notice of cure, to cure, which is telling them, hey, stop doing this, and they keep doing it, and it's repeated, you could evict on a nuisance. And they have this exception that says, if you notice the cure, then you terminate, and they're holding over, and they're a nuisance, you can still evict them, even though this moratorium is going on. But beyond that, in New York State, there's no evictions until August 31st, 2021. And by the way, this is not just for residential, but also commercial properties, and not just for evictions, but also for foreclosures. Interesting. That's very interesting. So um, let's fast forward to, to to address what you were just saying about a, a holdover tenant. Um, what is the process to evict the, the party and say a holdover tenant, the time frame, and what is a holdover tenant? I'm going to do those questions in reverse order. So okay. it was, what is the process? What is the timeline and what is? So let's start off with what is. Okay. There's two ways to evict someone in the state of New York. One is called a non-payment proceeding. And the other one is called a holdover proceeding. Those are both in landlord tenant court on the five Eastern towns. They happen in the town courts. In the western towns of Suffolk County, they happen in district court, Nassau County's district court as well. In the city, they have a housing court, so different places, but the okay. same rule applies. Right. A non-payment means what it says. You get impact. A holdover means either the term of the lease expired and you stayed, or you violated a rule you were told to cure, which is called a notice to cure. You didn't cure it. You stayed there. And now the landlord's evicting you. So that's the distinction between a, a holdover and a non-payment. Now, to be clear, you could do them both at the same time because you could send a notice, a predicate notice on the non-payment of rent, terminate the lease, and bring both a non-payment and a holdover simultaneously, which is better grounds to be able to evict someone. Albeit, you can't do any of that until we're done with this new moratorium. Okay. So what do you think the, uh, the, my second question was, what's the time frame? Okay, we're, uh, September 1st is, let's fast forward to September 1st. Okay, now you can do the process that you're talking about, but there's a tenant that's staying as a holdover tenant. Um, how long is that process? I've heard you know, in the past that could be six months, could be a year. What's what is what do you think the time frame is? I know there's no specific time, but the way the courts are, maybe you can give us some idea. I love this question, John, and I, I hope that instead of people calling me and asking this question ten times a day, they'll just listen to real life with John Christopher, and they'll know the answer. They should get your podcast and just keep listening to John because this is this is the question I get every day. So I want to answer it in two ways. The first way is I want to say. After a pandemic, 
and after moratoriums for like a year plus, and after the fact that we now have a backlog of cases, probably in the millions of cases, I have no idea what the timeline is going to be moving forward because there's such a backlog of all of these cases that everyone's been trying to move forward. And there's going to be, a, I think it's going to cripple the courts. I don't know how they're going to deal with it. I do have a suggestion, though, and I'm going to give you the suggestion after okay. I answer the second part. Your second part was, you're right. It usually takes about six months if there wasn't a moratorium. But I will suggest to your landlords, particularly on the East End, particularly to people that work with the great brokers at Sotheby's, I know you're one of them, and the other companies out on the East End, I just want to share this with you. A smart landlord puts in their lease a provision that says, hey, if you hold over after I terminate or after the term of this lease is over, your rent goes from base rent to three times rent. So I'm giving you a functional end round, John. Mm. So let's say someone was renting for $40,000 a month, right. and let's say they held over. Don't you think you could help them be motivated to leave if their rent went to $120,000 a month? Because you see nothing about these moratoriums prevents your duty to owe the money. It's just about eviction and gaining possession. Interesting. Very interesting. So you're saying, just to summarize what you what you just said, is Please. that there's no, no idea if somebody does proceed with an eviction process, uh, it could be years, I mean, with the courts. Absolutely, it can be years because we have such a backlog. So imagine you were working on a conveyor belt and the conveyor belt had one, two, three, four widgets. They just keep going. But at one point, instead of the normal one, two, three, four pace, it goes. And then we end up with a million all at once. How are they supposed to handle that? That's so it's interesting. A big, yeah, a big predicament that it's gonna be a problem. But again, I said I had a uh, idea and I'm gonna share with you an idea. And then I also wanna share with you um, a way around this whole issue right now. And I'm gonna do them both quickly. The first is the idea. There's all this money coming from the federal government going to the states and to local municipalities to pay for back rent. But the problem is most of the time the tenant needs to apply for it and tenants that are deadbeats are in a bad problem aren't doing it the right way. And it's becoming a problem for landlords. My first concept is I think that they should have the judges have discretion to provide back rent as opposed to having a moratorium. So I think the way out isn't to go from moratorium to start evictions, but instead start cases, but allow judges to distribute this federal money to the landlord in exchange for waiving the eviction, which would expedite the procedure for many people. I think that's a policy suggestion I want to make. But then the question is, how do you deal with things where we are now? This is for my Hamptons, Norfolk residential landlords, and mostly for my commercial landlords throughout the state. There's a federal judge from the Southern District of New York that ruled on a case when Cuomo was sued when the moratorium started. And he wrote a fascinating opinion. It was pages and pages long. And he said, I don't understand, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I don't understand why no one realizes that a lease is a contract. Why not just sue them in Supreme Court for a money judgment and use that as leverage to negotiate them to leave? Isn't that your solution today while the moratoriums continue? I think that's a great solution. Andrew, it's been great having you on the program. I look forward to you coming back again. 
This is John Christopher for Real Life, and we'll be right back after this short break. I'm Tanzina Vega. You're listening to 88.3 WLIWFM and WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station. I'm Brian Cosgrove, and I hope you'll join me here at 88.3 WLIWFM for both the afternoon ramble, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 4, and the overnight ramble, Tuesdays through Saturdays from 2 to 5 a.m. A unique mix of music you won't hear anywhere else. The Afternoon Ramble and the Overnight Ramble on 88.3 WLIW-FM and WLIW.org slash radio. Long Island's only NPR station. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is John Christopher, and I'm delighted to have with me a top broker from Saunders & Associates, Diane Sa- Sa- Satchi. Whoa, Diane, sorry for mispronouncing okay. your name. <laughs> How are you today? I'm good, thanks, John. How are you? Great, great, great. Uh, you write some great blogs, and a recent one was titled, What a Year This Has Been. And I want to talk about some things uh, that we did as brokers in 2020 and what we're doing in 2021. But more importantly, what's what should our clients and customers be doing going forward? So let's start. Were there any challenges for you in 2020, say open houses? There were so many challenges. Oh, it's good. amazing <laughs> we've all survived. And just a little sidebar here. One of the positive things that's happened this year, and I won't spend too much time talking about it, is that the brokers, I mean, it could just be me, but it seems like we've all been so much nicer to one another. It's, you know, it's sort of like we've been through a war together. Oh, and so um, we, there's a lot of camaraderie that I don't think I've ever seen in our business. So that's kind of nice. It is. Yes. The so cause isn't great, but the result is nice. Yeah. So tell me about some of the things that uh, you went through, that we all went through as, as brokers uh, last year. Well, you know, I, I think the overriding thing is we, because we couldn't get to open houses and because we couldn't actually see customers, we were busy selling houses we didn't, we'd never seen to customers we didn't know. Um, and it's a statement or a testament to the incredible market that in spite of all that, we made a lot of deals and it's been a really um, um, rigorous market. So I don't know if... Um, it's going to reset how we do business, but it's certainly going to make some differences going forward. That's for sure. Exactly. I mean, okay, let's just say the the open houses. I mean, how was that? I mean, did you do any open houses with the, the no. mask? Or, and no, what, we didn't have open houses. We relied on um, basically what you can see in, on the internet, which interestingly enough, we'd been kind of moving along in that direction. We're, you know, back in the old days and um, the, the old days, maybe four or five years ago, mm-hmm. um, customers would come to us and we would send them pictures of houses we wanted to show them. And we'd kind of, you know, go back and forth with pictures before we actually went out. But in more recent times, customers come to us with what they want to see because they've done all their homework online and they really kind of know a lot about the market way more than they used to when our only way of advertising was the New York Times classified section. So customers actually pick out what they want to see and they either go with a listing broker or they you know, send it all to one particular broker 
who then arranges to show the, the, those houses. And our, I think our geographical area has expanded because it's so much easier to see things online. And we've been showing houses that we've never seen other than online. Now we used to poo poo that. I mean, when I, as a listing broker, if a broker called me and said, I wanna show whatever, the first thing I would say to them, have you seen it? Right. And usually they have. And if they haven't, we'd have a whole long description. Now, nine times out of 10, they've never seen the house. Right, and they go so, in. But, right. Yeah, um, I used to be so embarrassed if I was showing a house I hadn't seen in the last couple of weeks. So now, true. you know, you just say, I'm sorry, you know, I'm seeing it for the first time with you. Right. Um, so that that's kind of changed a lot. Um, the other thing that's changed a lot is we're not hanging out in the offices. So, um, you know, maybe we're getting along because we don't see each other, but you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a lot you learn just being in the office and overhearing what's going on. So we don't have that resource now. And we may be, you know, I don't know where we're getting that information, but um, I had an experience the other day where a customer asked me about a house that curiously is probably, you know, like, you know, a three blocks from where I live, ordinarily, I would have, you know, been there. Um, and he knew about it before I did. And I said, I can't believe it's that listed. You're ahead of me this time. I was like, it was, I, you can't even be embarrassed anymore. Um, there, he told me about a house basically around the corner from me that came on the market. Yeah, but we have a lot of things that we're doing. I have this, have had the same experiences. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that, okay, <laughs> Uh, let's go see it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so were there any other um, uh, difficulties that you experienced? Well, I think what happened um, slowly through the year um, is that, well, first we ran out of rental properties. I mean, they were, we were out of stock by last April and for summer and even year round rentals because of that rush to get out of the city and come here. Um, and then slowly over the ensuing months, we kind of lost a lot of inventory and without making it up in any way. I mean, there's um, people who were thinking of selling, didn't want to sell because they didn't want to give up their place in the city. So we lost inventory just because it came off the market. And then it got worse because people were not worse. It was great, but people were buying things really quickly to the point where I think I mentioned this in, in the last blog. Um, a property came on the market. We scheduled people coming in, looking at it every 15 minutes. There were so many requests for it. I was there four hours. We had 16 people come and look at it. Some people were late. Some people were early. Everyone was waiting outside. Not to, you know, we, we, we're not a, um, a cohort of group that is used to waiting or not getting what we want. So imagine that all lined up on this small little street. Um, after the end of the day, we had multiple offers all over the asking price. I think the lowest offer we got was at the asking price. Everybody was cash. Everybody was, you know, willing to do stuff. And we, of course, we ended up making a deal by the end of the day. But um, it it was so shocking, and that kind of continued. We've had lots of experiences like that where something comes on the market that's priced right, it goes. And I've often seen customers send something to me after the first weekend it's been on the market. Gee, you know, we want to come out next weekend or we'll be out in two weekends. And it's either gone or if right. it's not gone by the time they're there to look at, the listing broker says we have multiple offers. And then there are people who don't want to be in a bidding war. And a lot of people who think that somehow that they're offering cash 
Um, they're a very nice family. They really want a house and they should get it. Right. <laughs> um, it doesn't work out that way though. It, it, you know, but for the last several years, it did work out that way. Right. You know, and it wasn't that long ago where people saw, you know, made offers well below the asking price because they figured the sellers were getting ready to sell and they, they got those deals. Right. But in a really short time, the market changed and we're still finding people who don't get it. Yeah. They, just, they don't believe it. Well, there's like a, a disconnect between the buyers and the sellers, I think. Always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not just that. You know, whatever direction the market's in, um, you know, it's right. like why, right. why I once years ago, I showed a house to somebody and they said, we'll take it. And I said, what? <laughs> I said, we'll take it. I said, well, what do you, are you offering? Well, what are they asking? I told them what they're asking and they said, okay. Uh, <laughs> this is 33 years with a, you know, a lot right. of showings. That was the only time it happened. And, 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 and even then it wasn't a smooth transaction, but um, and none, it, it, people don't think of that in real estate. And even there are all kinds of reports about the inventory being low and there, you know, you have to be quick and you have to be cash. Um, I've gotten so many people who, you know, they know they have to be cash, but they want a, more, they want a mortgage contingency anyway, and they lose it. And right. then they tell me they're unlucky. And I really want to say, you're not unlucky. You're just not connected to the reality of what's going oh, on happening. now. Right. That's so true. And yeah, yeah. You know, it's a thing. I also have that same issue is that, you know, you explain this, but it seems like, uh, are you trying to sell a used car? And it's not. It's like we want to make a deal happen, obviously. But right. by the same token, we want you know the customer or the client to know, and you know what is the reality? What is what is happening now? It's um, they don't get it, and what you know, and they the problem with mortgages these days, and I it's we haven't been keen on taking subject to financing deals for a long time. But now, even if a bank is involved, it could take over two months to even get a commitment. Right. And in this kind of market, nobody wants to commit themselves to a buyer who's not committed to a deal. Right. So it's um, and, you know, people go home and they say, but my father always bought houses with subject to financing. I always did it that way. And I understand that, but it's not working now. And the other thing that's not working now, and I'm going to segue back to that blog you mentioned, is that there's, I would venture to guess most people who wanted to come out here quickly and, and um, get a house looked for new construction. I wanted a brand new house um, or ready to move into resale. They didn't want to do any work. And realistically, it's been a really hard year to get any work done. Um, because they, you know there was a shortage of materials and there was a backlog in, in buildings. So by the time summer came, um, it was it was just impossible to even get a handy person to come and fix something. So I understand why everyone wanted a ready to use house and not take somebody's resale. Um, but there weren't that many of them, and still there aren't that many. So the supply chain for new construction is tight. And I've been telling people if they want to make a deal and they don't want to have a bidding war and they want a good location, change your budget and look for a house that is way less than what you want to spend and plan on redoing it. Right. Um, it's a, both a good investment to do that, um, but you can, you know, you, you, if you don't want competition, that's the way to sidestep it. And it's a way to end up getting everything you want. Um, 
the pushback on that is they don't they want the house right now. Um, however, they some of these folks are looking for a year, and the way they're looking and trying to buy something, they're going to be looking for many years. You may right. as well get going on something while you can. Um, it, I'm finding people are willing to do that now. They kind of understand it, um, but it's hard because you know. I mean, I get, it, it, there's one partner in every couple who says, you don't know my spouse. He or she is going to spend way more than we think. Um, it's going to get carried away. It's going to take forever. And it's going to be a terrible process. And it could be, but it also could be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's so true. I think that's great advice. Um, let's, if somebody wanted to get some more of your, uh, your real estate acumen, how could they uh, do that? How could they reach you? Um, um, dsachi at saunders.com or if you can't spell Sachi, you can even do ds at saunders.com it's a bit easier um, or um, you can go online my cell phone's there I can tell it to you but just yeah. go online and get it and I have a website dianesachi.com fantastic Diane it's been a, a real pleasure and educational experience with you uh, this is John Christopher of Real Life Broadcasting here in Southampton on 88 Point three WLIWFM, the only NPR station on Long Island. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen and make sure you're safe, but also have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for real life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org slash radio. John Landis, your host for the Jam Session Radio Hour on 88.3 WLIW-FM, Sunday nights at 8, bringing you the best in local live jazz, all recorded live right here at some great venues on the east end of Long Island. And please stay tuned to 88.3 WLIW-FM, also heard on WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station. You can't read the news while you cook or check social media while you drive. So when you need to stay informed but have to multitask, All Things Considered is here. Listen every afternoon from NPR News. Weekday afternoons from 4 to 6. This is Joe Lauro, your host of the American Grooves Radio Hour, where each week we will take a deep dive into the early years of jazz, blues, country, and all other forms of American pre-World War II music. 
and all of the music will be played off the original 78 RPM records. So join us every Sunday evening at 10 p.m. right here on WLIW FM 88.3 on your radio dial.